welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. This morning, Luke chapter 1. Now, as many of you know, some of you know it by reputation, some of you know it by experience. I saw you back there. I spent the last 10 years of my life as a history teacher. And when I tell people that, the first reaction I get from most people is, history is boring. You're wrong. Let me tell you why. Because if you think history is boring, you have studied it the wrong way. You, you've studied it as a set of events and people that you have to memorize. But when you take history and you begin to try to dig into the concepts of history, it begins to come alive. When I was in college, one of the things they would train us to do is ask of history, ask essential questions. Basically, the concept is every historical event is the answer to a question. You just have to figure out what the question is. History is a lot like Jeopardy. They give you the answer. Now, what is the question? And one of my favorite essential questions that we ask of all times of history is what happens when culture collides? What happens when the Roman Empire takes over something like 30 other nations and tries to make it into one big empire with all of these different language and nationalities and cultures? What, what happens when you take Germans and English and Dutch and you put them all in the same new American colonies? What's produced from that? What happens when white Americans move west and they come in conflict or contact with the Native Americans? And every time you ask that question, you have one of two things that will happen. Every time two different cultures collide, it will create conflict or it will create something new and something beautiful. Now, the reason I bring that up this morning is, is this is the question we're really asking with, with, Christ, with Christmas. Like, what is the point? What happens when something extraordinary meets the ordinary? What happens when God meets man? And the answer is that for each one of us, it will do one of two things. When we come in contact with Jesus, it will either create conflict in us where we resist him. Or something in us will say, I want that, and we will become something new. We've been in a series called What Child Is This? And, and we've just basically been trying to figure out why, why do we celebrate the birth of Jesus? Why does his uh, arrival excite us? And the answer is generally not the birth of Jesus. We tend to look at the death of Jesus and what that means for us. We've been looking at the who and why of who Jesus is. But today we want to stop and we want to go back and we want to focus on the how did he get here? Because now that we know who Jesus is, that he is the son of God, and we know the why that he came here, he came here because we needed a savior and he came here to be the sacrifice for our sins. Now we can ask the how and the how is going to back up what we already know about Jesus Christ. We're going to understand more about what he's doing based upon how he gets here. Because what we see is that Jesus's entrance into the world is a meeting of the seen physical world and the unseen spiritual realm. And the combination of these two things produces a savior. So if you would, the this morning, let's read what you probably know as the Christmas story. In Luke chapter 1, let's read verses 26 and 27. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph to the, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to come back to that in just a second. But I want to stop there because this is where the story begins. The story begins with a focus on individuals. The Bible is not wasted. No word in the Bible is wasted. So when God had this written, he had every detail written and every detail has a purpose and a reason. 
So we stop and we focus on these two individuals of Joseph and Mary. Here's what we know about Joseph, just a few things the Bible tells us. Joseph was of the house of David, and that's kind of like your last name at this time, the lineage, where did you come from? As a matter of fact, if you look at Joseph, his like 40th great-grandfather would have been David. And what you need to know about that is David was the king of Israel. He wasn't a king of Israel. David was the king. God chose him, and then he made a covenant with him and said, David, your throne, your lineage will sit on the throne forever in Israel. You are the king. There is a king that is coming after you, but you are the one who should, uh, you are the one whose family will rule Israel for all of eternity. Past that, we don't know about, about Joseph. He was strikingly ordinary, a carpenter or a tradesman of some sort. And then it introduces us to his, what we would call fiance, introduces us to Mary, who was betrothed to him. Now, here's what you need to know about betrothed. Betrothed was like our engagement, but it was a legal obligation. Like there was a ceremony, then a time of preparation, and then the actual marriage. So Mary and Joseph were contractually obligated together. It's not like our engagements here. Like when I proposed to my wife, I gave her a ring. That was the contract. If you'll marry me, I'll give you one shiny thing. To end that, all you had to do was throw the ring back at me, which thankfully she never did. At this time, Mary and Joseph are connected. It would take a literal divorce for them to be separated at this point, but they were not yet married. They were together, but not together as husband and wife, not yet. The marriage had not been finalized. And this is where the Bible gets just a little bit too personal. It tells us that, that Mary was a virgin. And that's not normally how we introduce people, right? Like, hi, this is Mary. She's a virgin. You need to know her physical past. But that's going to come up here in just a few minutes. It's going to be very important to the story and what's fixing to happen about them. Here's what we need to know about Mary and Joseph at this moment. They're completely ordinary. There's nothing special about them. He's a tradesman. They're young. They're in love. They're going to get married. That's all. And then we see something else about them. The Bible goes into detail to tell us exactly where they were. Not just that they were in Israel, but it tells us that they were in the region of Galilee in the town of, Naz of Nazareth. And if you don't know what that means, that means they were from nowhere. Let me try to make this make sense to us. Okay, so if Israel was America, everybody with me? If it was a connection here? If Israel was America, Galilee would be Arkansas. The place that the people that live there love, but everybody else thinks is full of backwoods hillbillies. And, and if Galilee was Arkansas, then Nazareth would be any one of the small communities many of us came from. Deshaies, Drasco, Oil Trough, Salado, Pleasant Plains. That's where Jesus is coming to. That's where these people live in a completely normal world. And here's what I understand about you and me, or what I love about you and me, is that we have the ability to understand this story better than a lot of people in the world. Because when Jesus makes his entrance, Jesus doesn't make his entrance to the world in the equivalent of New York City. He doesn't come to parents who work on Wall Street. He's not a multi-billionaire. Jesus doesn't make his entrance into the world in the equivalent of Hollywood and live in a Beverly Hills mansion. He comes to a place like what we live in, where the ordinary, good, awesome people actually live. That's where Jesus comes to. And so we get to understand the Christmas story more than anybody. But here's where the story begins, is that everything about this story begins with the ordinary. Your first take-home truth this morning, number one, Jesus was born into an ordinary world. Now, if I dismissed the service right here and said, okay, let's go home, some of you would be very happy because you don't want to listen to any more of this, but it wouldn't make any sense. Like, you'd be going home and goes, what was the point of that? Jesus was born into an ordinary world. It was a small, a small town somewhere in Israel. We got it. What's the point of that? How does that apply to us? 
Well, when you think about what you already know about the story, what we've already learned about Jesus, Jesus was born into an ordinary world, but Jesus was anything but ordinary. Jesus in no way belonged in this place. And, and so it makes me think, why, why would somebody go to a place they obviously don't fit in? Why do you go to a place that you don't belong? Why do we go places that we don't belong? And the answer is pretty simple. Jesus went to where the people that he loved was. In 2017, I had an opportunity to go on a mission trip with one of my close friends, Myron, and he, he, uh, he was organizing this, and we were taking some of the kids from the school, and so we organized this, and we were able to go to Mexico. Now, here's what you need to know about me. I speak like four words of Spanish. I speak no Spanish grammar. I'm not a, how can I say this without being embarrassed? I'm not an exploratory eater. I eat four things, and that's all, and so we're going to go down here. Some of the food they served us, guys, I mean, like the missionaries, like, you have to eat everything they serve you, otherwise it's rude, and they slapped down like a hamburger with hot dogs on it and slathered and mustard and mayo and I was like trying not to puke and, but I was trying to be rude like that, that's not a place that I belong I didn't belong in this world why did we go there because we were pursuing people and when you pursue people you go to where they are at and so when Jesus comes into this world what's being communicated to us is that he is coming into this world to pursue the ordinary people see this is a theme of Jesus' entire life not just his birth is that he went to the everyday people Jesus spent very little time pursuing the rich, the wealthy, the powerful, or the religious. Jesus went to the broken. Jesus went to the people with real problems. Jesus went to the woman at the well who had been an outcast in her town because she had hopped from man to man to man to man and nobody would be around her. Jesus went to the tax collector who made his living robbing others and was an outcast in society. And Jesus said, that's who I'm looking for. Jesus went to the handicapped who had no value in that society, who were sitting by pools of water trying to, you know, call up some ancient God to heal them. And Jesus pursued them there. Jesus went to the demon-possessed prostitutes. Jesus goes to the ordinary people with the ordinary problems where he doesn't belong, and he goes there to pursue them. And this is the theme of his death as well. If there was one person who didn't belong on the cross, it was Jesus Christ. But he goes there because he's chasing you and me. He comes to this world to chase us, and he leaves this world chasing us. So your second take-home truth, what we know about Jesus, is Jesus enters this world to pursue the ordinary. That's why he came here. Now, we tend to have this misconception, is that if you were in an ordinary world, you probably are ordinary. And once again, Jesus was anything but ordinary. And we see that in the announcement. Jesus comes into the ordinary world, but he comes in an extraordinary way. And the, just those first two verses we read, if that's all you knew about Jesus, you've got to think, there's something different about this kid. And the reason why is because he was announced by an angel. Now, specifically in the Bible, there are three archangels mentioned. And if you don't know what an archangel is, think of heaven and the angels like a military. Like there's the low-level angels, there's the medium-level angels, there's the high-level angels. Gabriel, archangel, top of the list. He's not God, he's not to be worshipped as God, but he is the top dude in heaven. And God turns to him and he says, I've got a job for you to go be the messenger to announce the arrival of this child, to announce the arrival of Jesus. That's not normally how we know babies are coming. I knew my daughter was coming because my wife was cooking crackers. And when she opened the oven, she had to sprint to the bathroom to um, empty the contents of her stomach. 
Like generally, that's how we know babies are coming. And then there's that little stick, some kind of witchcraft. You go in the bathroom and wave it and come out, and it tells you if you're having a baby or not. You guys, I don't know how that thing works. All I know is she went in there and come out, and she said, we're pregnant. That's how we usually find out babies are coming. But Mary, before she conceived, before she conceived, Mary knew because God sent an angel say, to say, not only is this going to happen, but I want you to understand how it happens and why it happens. Read with me if you still got your Bibles up. We're going to read verses 28 through 33. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at this, saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And in his kingdom there will be no end. Keep your Bibles open. We're coming back again. So in this announcement, Gabriel comes straight from the presence of God. And here's what you need to know. Every time, or let me take that back, almost every time in the Bible somebody sees an angel, their first words are, do not be afraid. You know why? Because they're terrifying. They've come straight from the presence and the glory of God. They don't look like a regular human being. They are shining with a brilliance that we cannot even describe. And they enter our ordinary world and upset our ordinary routine. And they have to say, I'm here for a reason. And it's not because something bad is about to happen to you. And so Gabriel comes to Mary and appears to her and he begins to announce what's going to happen. You will give birth specifically, not just to a child, you will give birth to a son. Now I think we miss the significance of that in our world. At this time, there were no ultrasounds. There was no way of knowing if you would have a boy or a girl. You just waited until the birth. You would usually have a, a name picked out for both the boy and the girl. But Gabriel starts giving specifics. You're going to have a baby. The baby will be a boy. And then he begins to define the child. Now, I find this interesting. We generally define things that exist. But at this point, from a human perception, Jesus is not yet born. Jesus is not yet even conceived. We would say Jesus as a human does not exist. But yet Gabriel begins to define Jesus by name and by title. And the reason for that is Gabriel already knew Jesus. John 1 1 tells us in the beginning was the word that word is Jesus in the beginning was Jesus and he was with God and he was God this is not the beginning of the story of Jesus this is the beginning of Jesus entering our world and so Gabriel goes ahead and gives her this lesson in who Jesus already is and who she should address him by as he comes into the world the first thing he does the first thing that he does is defines his name, says this child will come in and you shall call him Jesus. Now that's important. That is very important because a name does have some bearing on what something is. When my wife and I knew we were going to have a baby, uh, we, we sat down and, and we made a list of names that we thought we might like. And we made a list of names that were absolutely on the band list. You guys want to know why we had names on the band list? because we were teachers. And we did not want to jinx our child by naming them something like Riley or Annalise or something like that, some bad kid. <laughs> Love y'all. We didn't want to do that. Because there is a fear even in us that your name determines who you are. Now that's not true, but your name does define who you are. And the name Jesus, as we pronounce it Jesus in English, if we were to say it in Hebrew, would actually be Yeshua. And what that literally means is Yahweh saves. 
And so as Gabriel comes and gives this announcement to the world, he says, you're going to call this child by a name. You're going to call this child Yeshua. And what that name should always remind you of, every time you speak the name of that child, you should think, this child is God's salvation. That salvation is not through what you do. It's not through how you act. That this child is sent to you to be your salvation. That God has provided salvation for you. That's why the name is important. And then Gabriel begins to give the title of Jesus. It says, he will be called great, the son of the highest, and he will be given the throne of King David. Remember, King David is the king in Israel. He will always have been the one that people looked back to. And so God is promising, has promised David this earthly throne. And he said, David, your throne will go forever, which is frankly impossible, unless the one who sits on it is eternal. And so God is taking this moment to introduce to the world something new, something bright, that Jesus, Jesus is not just going to be an earthly king. He meets no criteria of an earthly king, but Jesus is going to be the eternal king, the one, the only one who can uphold the promises that has been given to the world. Catch up with me now in verse 34, just one verse. Because all of this sounds really great. It sounds like things are going to happen. But Mary has a biology question here. She says, I think there's a problem. Verse 34. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know the man, I know a man? This goes back to why we had that odd introduction of Mary earlier. Because it's important for the world to know and it's important for it to be recorded in the scripture. Mary says, I don't think that's possible. This is not something that can happen. There's a very certain specific of events that leads to somebody having a child. And if you know that, I'm not going to explain it to you. If you don't know, you don't need to know yet. We'll just leave it like that. Uh, some of you guys, some of the parents are like, thank you, Brian. Thank you. <laughs> no questions. Y'all made me lose my place. And Mary's coming to him and coming to this angel and going, um, this is not possible. And this is the response of somebody that is ordinary when they come, in, come into contact with something that is extraordinary. When an ordinary person is confronted with the extraordinary, they begin to have questions. Like, this doesn't fit into my frame of reference. This doesn't fit into to the things that I know about this world. This is not fitting into my understanding. This is why we ask questions when we really dig into the Bible. It's like, how did Noah get all of those animals on that boat? Like, was there just like not as many animals back then? How'd they get there from Africa and North America? We start to ask questions like that. We've, we've had trouble comprehending the extraordinary because we're ordinary. We ask questions like, well, how did the Red Sea part, like there was water and then it just kind of held itself? How does that even work? How did Moses do that? Well, we have these questions, and it's the same question that Mary had because she was experiencing something that was extraordinary. Your third take-home truth is Jesus was born in an extraordinary way. He was born into an ordinary world to pursue ordinary people, but he was born in an extraordinary way. And Gabriel explains this in verse 35. This is what he says. He says, Then the angel answered, to her, or answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. What Gabriel is saying is this will not be your normal conception. What's going to happen will be different than has ever happened to any person in the past and will ever happen to any person in the future. Is that you will become pregnant because the Holy Spirit will come over you. 
and you will be overshadowed by the power of the highest. Now to understand those two things, the Holy Spirit is God's, uh, is when God is present with us means the Holy Spirit has come over us. That word overshadowed is important. It's the same word, if you were here a couple weeks ago, it's the same word that was used. Remember when Jesus was transfigured and Peter said that stupid thing about like, hey, maybe we should build y'all three tabernacles and God the Father got angry and a cloud came over, this cloud that represents the presence of God. The Bible says that they were overshadowed by a cloud and from it God spoke. And so what we have here, when Gabriel says to Mary, listen, you will be overshadowed by the power of the Most High. Uh, the Holy Spirit will come over you. What that means is that the presence of God will come to you. And because of that moment, in that moment, you will conceive. You're not going to conceive through, through a conventional conception. What's going to happen is the God who breathed life into a pile of dirt and made human beings is going to visit you and he's going to create life within your womb. And that is why we call Jesus the Son of God. That is why people will look at him, because he is not normal. Although he is entering the ordinary, he is extraordinary. I love what God is communicating. He's saying, don't be confused. He's in your ordinary world. He's going to look like you, but he isn't holy like you. This child that is coming, he belongs to me. He is mine, and he is going to have a purpose. And this explains why, when we study Jesus in his life, this explains why he was so much different than everybody else. How could Jesus love the unlovable? Forget about the miracles for a second. It is hard to love everybody. Yet Jesus came into contact with the dirtiest of the dirty, and he poured his compassion on them. That's not enough to convince you about the difference of this Jesus. Jesus would walk up to sick people who had been sick all their life, born sick, with a touch, with a word, with a command. They'd be healed in an instant. Why is that? Because he's not like us. He looks like us, but he's not like us. See, even though Jesus did all of those things, we also know that Jesus also needed naps. I love that the scripture tells us how holy naps are. Jesus took naps often. Jesus bled. Jesus cried. He was wholly human, but he's wholly God. It's where the ordinary and the extraordinary meet, and it's the only way a Savior could be produced for me and you. More details are given. We're going to fast forward, if you still got your Bibles open, over to chapter 2. We're going to fast forward to the actual event of what happens at Jesus' birth. Mary is told this will happen. All the things that she has promised does happen. Fast forward nine months. It is now time for Jesus to enter into the world. Chapter 2, let's read verses 1 through 7. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be registered. This census first took place when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So understand the story here. Mary experiences this supernatural moment. She communicates with an angel. She suddenly becomes pregnant. She's carrying the child of God. And as her time comes close, the government gets involved. I believe it was Ronald Reagan that said the scariest words anybody has ever heard is, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. But in this case, in this case, 
God has a plan for what's going on. The government has declared there will be a census, and you have to imagine a Mary, she's nine months pregnant, and now she's being told by the government, you will have to leave home. You're going to have to travel to the city of your lineage. She's nine months pregnant, she's got to go 90 miles. For me and you, that's a trip to Little Rock. It's not very far. For them, it was a four-day walk at the very end of her pregnancy. And if you're married, you have to think, what is the purpose of this? Why, why is this happening to me? Why do I have to walk? And here's what you need to know is that all of this happened, and this is interesting, for God to meet one prophecy. 400 and something prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming of Jesus, you would think God could have left one off. And he's like, no, I'm going to get every last one. And we've got a problem of logistics. I have my son has been conceived in a woman in Nazareth, but I have promised, I have promised that this child will be born in Bethlehem. And here's what's interesting about this, and this may provide you hope in a lot of ways, is that God literally mobilized the whole world to move three individuals 90 miles. We'll have a census, everybody will have to go, everybody will be traveling, but God alters world events for three people to move 90 miles to keep his promises. This is not the point, but when God promises you something, you can bank on it. He will do it. And while she's there, Mary gives birth. Now, when we think of extraordinary, I usually think of amazing things, great things, wonderful things. But extraordinary can also have a negative connotation. Because while Mary has traveled here in this busy moment, the same answer that God had to, how am I going to keep the prophecy that I promised of this child being born in Bethlehem, has created a problem that while Mary is there, very pregnant, about to have her child, there is no place for her because the rest of the world traveled too. Now here's where it gets confusing because I just said, and it's the truth, you can read in the scripture, God mobilized the whole world to move three people 90 miles but he couldn't mobilize one couple out of a bed so Mary could have a place to lay her head down? I worded that wrong. God could do that, but he chose not to. And if he chooses not to, when he chooses not to, he has a reason. And what we're going to find in the rest of the story is that Jesus, I'm sorry, that God uses this moment of Jesus' birth and not allowing there to be a place for Mary and Joseph as an identifier the uniqueness of their situation was an identifier. This is another thing you can just take and put in your little side notes about God is God will use hardship for good. God will do things that don't make sense to us because he has a greater plan and that's what he does. And so as the baby is born, as we all know, Mary laid him in a manger because there was nowhere else to be laid and this is how he will be found. Last scripture, I promise, verses eight through 12. It says, now they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, for which, um, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So the first people to hear the announcement that Christ has come is shepherds. Again, another interesting thing. Jesus just keeps defying the odds. We're going to travel 90 miles because of a, of a census, but we're not going to have anywhere for us to stay. We're going to announce the arrival of Jesus, but we're not going to announce it to the people in power. We're going to announce it to shepherds. And here's what you need to know about shepherds, that they had bad reputations. 
They were dirty. They lived outside. They were poor. They were known to be thieves. They were rowdy and wild. And yet God announces this to them. There's good news. There's a Savior in the world. You know, it's interesting when you think about that. Who does the Savior come to? He comes to those that need to be saved. He comes to those that need him. Jesus, as he grew up, he would later, later say, he said, I have not come here to be with the healthy. The healthy don't need a doctor. The sick need a doctor. And that's who I'm here for. And so even in the announcement of Jesus, we see that Jesus' intended audience, the people that he was coming for, were those who were the outcasts of society, those who were poor, those who most would say God has no plan for them. And yet God says they are the only plan. They are the ones. And as the, this is announced to these shepherds, there now becomes the question, how will we find this Savior? And here's what I love about the story. God has arranged it where the Savior is accessible to dirty shepherds because he's just in a stable. And he's identifiable to anybody because he's the only child in a manger in Bethlehem at this time. Why was he accessible in a stable? Why was he identifiable in a manger? Because he wants to be found. This is what you need to know about Jesus. A savior is useless if he can't be found. But from the second Jesus entered this world, he put himself in a place, in a position where you could know who he was and you could access him no matter who you are. See, when we think about what a savior does, a savior comes as a rescuer. A rescuer or a savior, they leave a place of safety to enter a place of danger. Why would you go to a place of danger if you're already in a place of safety? Because you go to pursue and find those who are in danger and bring them to a place of safety. What, what Jesus has done, what Jesus has done by coming to this world in this way is he's saying, I am willing to go out of my way, put my life in danger to pursue the people who are in danger and bring them into the safety of my love. Your last take on truth as we apply this to me and you. Number four, Jesus was born to provide rescue for you. So when we ask the question, what is Christmas? Why do we celebrate Christmas? The answer is simply this. is because what it means is that Jesus came here and he came here with you and me on his mind. He came here for a purpose, to pursue us, to be available to us to rescue us from a place of danger and take us to a place of safety. Rick, if you want to start to make your way up here. I started the sermon off with an example about what happens when culture collides. And I told you that one of two things happens every time. That in that moment, either they will create conflict or it will create something beautiful and new. And this morning as we come here and we open up God's word and we study about the king, here's what happens is our ordinary lives come in contact, contact with an extraordinary truth. And for every person in this room, you have a choice. Does this create conflict with you as you reject the king? Or do you accept the king and he begins to create something new in you? This morning as we study this, I don't want to just study the Bible because it's Christmas time and put on some good Christmas music and everybody say, I love the Christmas story. This is a story about God's love. It's a story about how he pursues us. It's a story about how he wants you. So this morning, I'm gonna ask you to look into your own hearts. And if you are sitting here and you're realizing I'm at conflict with the king, instead of allowing him to create something new in me, I would invite you to accept him as your savior. And if you do know him as your savior, I'd invite you to celebrate him. Let's stand up and worship. Thank you for joining us this week at Ramsey Heights. We hope you enjoyed this week's message, and if you did, feel free to share it with others. 
If we can help you begin to follow Jesus or grow in your relationship with Him, join us on Sundays or connect with us on social media or our website, RamseyHeightsFamily.online.